welcome to ESPN's Bar Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lodanik, and we're back for more chaos and more FAWSL chat. So it's going to be an absolute banger of an episode if I do say so myself. I'm joined as always by Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. And this week we will be doing the FAWSL review. Not to be confused with the last episode we did about the FAWSL, which was a review of the final round of the season. There's a difference. I promise there's a difference. So this episode, we're going to be talking about our Aussies in depth. We're going to be talking about some things we love to see throughout the season. It's just going to be all the kind of fun, reviewy stuff we did with our W League episode. If you haven't listened to that, you can check it out uh, in the the back catalogue of our many, many pod episodes, but um, it's going to be lots of fun. So let's crack into it with our You Love to See It's of the season. So Angela, kick us off. What did you love to see this season? So something that will stand out for me reflecting on this season, big moment was Hayley Rasso's perfect hat trick in Everton's 5-0 win against Brighton in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, I just, all of those goals are really fun um and you know the first one with the left where she sort of just did it herself scurried away buried it second one a header and then the third one was like there was all this clutter in the box and she just came out of nowhere and finished with her right and I think um yeah it was really good to see that especially as Everton sort of petered off towards the second in that that second half of the season so um yeah a really comprehensive win and a great performance um from what I think has been a a pretty decent season from Rasso. Um, and then I guess in terms of other things that are just are going to continue to live rent-free in my mind, Heath's goal in the first Manchester derby. Oh, my God. Just I love it. The hospital pass from Lucy Bronze that she just leapt on and cannoned home, cannoned home across the right, across the right. Of the, I don't know what that word is. Cannoned home from the left of the goal. It's just fantastic. Um, yeah. So those two, I, sorry, I cheated. I did too. But, you know, Aussie, not Aussie. I think it's a, a great system. I also loved your Italian hand gesture in reference to Heath's goal. Like, very good shit, big fan of it. Sam, what did you love to see this season? I loved to see the rise of Mackenzie Arnold. This was a player that we didn't really know the potential of uh, and joining West Ham, particularly in the first half of the season. I think a lot of people watch Mackenzie Arnold going through a sort of trial by fire, but she has come along in leaps and bounds, I think, this season and has really improved. And I don't think any performance sums that up better than her two extraordinary penalty saves against Manchester City in West Ham's final game of the season. They ended up losing, but it was didn't matter because West Ham stayed up. Uh, it was a fantastic performance by her. And yeah, I just love to see her really pushing herself and challenging, I think, Lydia Williams for a number one spot at the, in the Matilda. So that's really exciting to see. Um, and in the spirit of Angela's uh, little bit of cheating, I do have a second one also related to goalkeepers, which I mentioned in the last episode of uh, our FAWSL season, which was Anne Catherine Berger's save for Chelsea against Manchester City in their final game of the season. Uh, it was absolutely crucial because it kept the game to two all and it had ensured that Chelsea stayed two points ahead of City in what eventually became their title winning season. So that that save, it was just, it threw a sea of bodies. It was a last minute muscle reaction. 
I it was one of the best saves I've ever seen in the women's game. It was so incredible. So yeah, love to see goalkeepers just like doing their thing. She's a keeper. Harrow, what did you love to see? This is very on brand. Um, my love to see it of the season was Sam Kerr's hat trick against West Ham back in December. Um, just to cast your mind back. Um, Sam Kerr had obviously copped so much criticism, talk about her nightmare at Wembley and, you know, can she convert? Can she score? Is she up to it? Um, you know, can she crack Europe? And I think this was the game where people, Chelsea actually conceded two goals as well. So this was a game-winning hat-trick where people actually went, oh, this Sam Kerr. Yeah, she's not bad, is she? She can actually play. And you're like, yes, <laughs> we've been telling you this the whole time. But it was the moment where she really stamped her authority on the season um, and started that real drive towards eventually winning the golden boot. It was, I think, the game where it made everyone sort of sit up and take notice and go, no, Sam Kerr's here and she's going to do to the FAWSL exactly what she did to every other league she's been in, and that's score goals and make an impact. And it was just, uh, yeah, brilliant. So you'll have to see that from Sam Kerr and of course I've got to cheat as well here and I'm going to take a leaf out of Sam's book here and go with the goalkeeping performance from the FA Cup final between Everton and Manchester City obviously Man City won that final but the talking point was Sandy McIver's performance in goal for Everton um, where she was just sensational and made all these amazing different sorts of saves and was clearly the best player on the pitch and we had a great little just to throw it back how good of when Everton legend Neville Southerl actually went on Twitter and um, pumped up Sandy McIver and they had a great little interaction. It was all very wholesome, um, which has been one of, I think, our favourite things of the season as well. Just some of the great little wholesome moments that we saw throughout the FAWSL campaigns. So, yeah, the Sandy McIver goalkeeping performance of the season. you love to see it. And like all three of those second, you love to see it. So just people being mean to City. <laughs> that was also the theme. <laughs> I'll say no more. Again, very on brand for us, I feel. That'll I'm, be right. I'm, I'm not going to comment on that, but it has been noted, Aizamochi. Um, My you love to see it's of the season. So from an Aussie perspective, we had Alana Kennedy just banging in some free kicks. It's something that we as Aussie fans have known she can do for ages. If you followed her on Instagram, you would have seen through lockdown, she was actually training and doing these and just spending all of her free time whacking in these free kicks. So she produced a particularly sensational one against Manchester United. It was voted Tottenham's goal of the season. We'll give it a retweet. It is just absolutely beautiful top bins, sensational areas. My cheating you love to see, it isn't really cheating, I'm going to say. I would say it's very true to who I am as a person. It is Megan Connolly's Olympico from when Brighton beat Chelsea, their only defeat of the season. They lost to an Olympico. And I think if you have to lose any game, it might as well be to an Olympico. So Megan Connolly, congratulations to you on entering a very exclusive fan club for, for me that, you know, just involves all the Olympicos. So I absolutely loved to see it but let's carry on let's get back to what we know and what we're good at which is talking about women's football with an Australian kind of twang so we're going to go through all our Aussies that were in the FAWSL this season so let's kick it off with Chelsea and Sam Kerr because we've spoken a lot about her so I reckon we can 
there's not much more we can add, but we will just kind of, you know, neatly parcel it up into a kind of little box. So Sam Kerr's influence at Chelsea, who would like to have first crack at just summing up how good she was this season for Chelsea? It's got to be Anna. <laughs> it's got to be Anna. Vindication for me. <laughs> She's extraordinary. Like, there was, as I said before, I know you love to see it, there was so many people ready to write her off. There are so many people. And if you, if you listen into our special Champions League final episode um, where we talk about Sam Kerr's tweet from a couple of years ago that came back to haunt her um, because she referred to a Champions League final as not being competitive, the people that, a lot of the people that jumped on her for that the same people that were ready to jump on her for not scoring goals, I think, early in the season. There were high expectations. Um, she was coming into this Chelsea team and obviously they had the COVID wrecked last season. This was her first real crack at it and she sort of had a bit of a stuttering start, missed some chances. But obviously the most important thing was she was getting in the right place at the right time, had all this support from Emma Hayes and her teammates. And what do you know? She found her groove. She found form. She started scoring goals. And at the end of the day, you'd be hard-pressed to say that she and her partnership with Frank Kirby wasn't the difference in them winning that championship. Um, Frank Kirby was obviously sensational throughout, but if Sam Kerr hasn't hit form and scored goals and built on that partnership, there's no way Chelsea win. Uh, she, gets, she won the golden boot. She scored games when it mattered. She ramped up her scoring as the season went on when some players probably tailed off a bit as the season went. She just got better and better as the games kept flowing and Champions League was coming through and there was League Cup as well in the mix. It didn't actually stop her scoring. She had the experience of being benched, I think, early in the season, fought her way through it, came back to starting, picked up form and just got better and better. She improved her game. She became a more well-rounded player, in my opinion, um, in terms of both the type of goal she scores, her conversion and also just some of her assists. And she reaped the rewards of the work she'd put in and hugely influential player. Um, I think eventually met everyone's expectations and then probably surpassed them because I don't think many people thought she'd beat Viviane Miedema for Golden Boot, especially given the scoring prowess of some of her teammates. And um, just an outstanding season. And she got two trophies out of it and deserves all the credit she gets. I think that's the thing that stands out to me the most about Sam Kerr's season as well is that she has become such a multi-dimensional player now. You know, when she went to England, she sort of had like a trademark Sam Kerr style, whether she was in the W League, whether she was in the NWSL, it was long balls over the top, Sam Kerr being really quick, running off the shoulder, getting in behind and also being really good in the air at set pieces. But as you mentioned, Harrow, like she has not only become more clinical in front of goal, which is something that she did need to improve upon, but she has also developed a much better understanding of her own uh, like spatial awareness and her responsibilities as an assistant to other players in the team. She's no longer like the Sam Kerr of, of this unit, which is what she has always been. She is just part of a team now. And I think she loves that. I think she relishes that. And it's made her a better person and a better player because I think she doesn't have that kind of pressure on her anymore to constantly be the one that needs to carry teams forward and to try and win games. Um, and that's probably something that the Matildas can learn from in terms of Definitely. the Chelsea setup. Um, because we're going to see over the next three years leading into the Women's World Cup that 
you know, national teams are going to be able to identify Sam Kerr as the Sam Kerr of the Matildas and shut her down. And so we need to be able to find ways around that. We need to find our Fran Kirby's. We need to find our, you know, our Bethany England's. We need to find our own other players who Sam Kerr can bounce off as opposed to having to carry them. So, yeah, I'm, she's just amazing. And I don't think any of us are surprised that she's done what she's done. Um, I'm, I'm mostly surprised. Well, am I surprised? I don't know. Again, I don't think I am surprised because we all knew that she had this potential in her. I'm just like, I'm just glad that that she hit those benchmarks and that she like set herself goals. Like all the things that she said in her press conference when she first signed for Chelsea, all of them have basically come true. She's like, I want to go over there. I want to like attack a different kind of style. I want to improve my own game. I want to win titles. She's done everything that she set up to do. And to, to have done it within like one and a half seasons almost is pretty extraordinary. And just to bounce off that, Sam, the other extraordinary thing was she, when she came in was people saying, and we talked about this in our um, pods very early on in the Far Post coming to fruition, was people saying, oh, but how's Sam Kerr going to fit in when you've got Beth England and Frank Kirby coming back and Ramona Buckman? And then later on it was obviously Buckman left and then it was Peniel Harder's coming in. And how's Sam Kerr going to fit in? She was, the, she was the star in terms of the attacking fulcrum and Frank Kirby may have been the playmaker that held everything together, but Sam Kerr was such an important reference point. And I like what you said there, Sam, about, I guess, the selflessness and not needing to be the focal point. Like so many of the runs she made where she wouldn't have got a stat, like the little movements, the little jinking away from a defender, drawing defenders away to open up space for players like England and Harder and Kirby. Those things have always been part of her game but they just got magnified because of the system that Chelsea played and they're not a stat but it's the sort of thing that when they have their team meetings I'm sure Emma Hayes and co would be picking out saying this is what we want this is what we need and um, when you talk about uh, I guess these players in Chelsea and how that worked it made me think actually to the US team that Tony Gustafsson worked with at the 2019 World Cup where Let's be honest like it was Megan Rapinoe's tournament but Alex Morgan is a striker that everyone knew coming into that and she ended up finishing, I think, on the same number of goals as Rapino. But it was, you know, Rapino doing this and then Sam Mewis doing that, Rose Lavelle doing this. And Alex Morgan still finished with plenty of goals in that tournament. I know most came in one, I guess, one game. But your strikers are still going to reap the rewards if they're not the sole focus. Like, I think that's something that comes to the fore. That's how you win trophies. That's how you become a better player is by not being the sole focus. And I think that's something that we can really take away um, going into Matilda's going forward. And hopefully it's something that we see implemented. We see, um, I think in, in footy terms, you often hear coaches call about like the lick of the ice cream. Sometimes you're the player that gets the goals, but other times you're the one dishing off the assists. Sometimes it's your turn to score. Sometimes it's your turn to set up or to do the selfless thing to let someone else score and the team ultimately benefits overall. And I think that's something that's really come into Sam Kerr's game to another level while she's been over in England. She's, she's been prepared to not be the one scoring the goals, to sometimes come off the bench, to sometimes be the impact player. And in doing so, she's actually ended up with the golden boot after all. So it's a, a real win-win. I, she surely couldn't be much happier with the FAWSL season that she put in. The only thing that I want to add, so Anna made an important point there that a lot of what Sam has done this season can't be reflected in just the stats but stats are still fun and what I really liked about this season is it was her best season um 
in terms of goals per 90 minutes as well. So it's 1.25, 21 goals across 22 games. Also notable that she made an appearance in all 22 league games as well, which I think a lot of people going back to that sort of um, cynicism, I suppose a lot had about whether she was going to get game time at all. It's like, would Emma Hayes have brought like Sam Kerr over to Chelsea if she wasn't planning on developing this fantastic player? No. Anyway, so yeah, that just tickled me. And so it's great to see her have those kinds of numbers in this league as well. So the second best version of that or the second best on that is her 2018-19 W League season, which is kind of, we love the dub, but it's a sort of different ballpark there. So really, really good to see that. Angela, I love, I do love the idea though of Emma Hayes playing 4D chess and being like, we're not going to play Sam Kerr, but you can't either. We're just going to make her sit on the bench. Incredible. Yeah, that I'm sure Emma Hayes, that's exactly what she's planning <laughs> on doing, evidently. Kind of picking up on something Sam sort of said about how does or how do the Matildas find the players that can kind of complement the new Kerr or this next level Kerr? I think we do have one of those players. So it's a lovely segue for me into talking about the girls at Arsenal and in particular, Caitlin Ford. So she had an absolutely sensational season. And I know Harrow has a lot of thoughts about Caitlin Ford's season. So the floor is now yours. I was really keen to talk about Caitlin Ford on this episode because I think Sam Kerr's heroics in the latter part of the season and also the way Arsenal kind of drifted out of title contention, then back into um, a UWCL spot. Uh, means that some of Caitlin Ford's efforts, I guess, are sort of back in the memory a bit. Um, I just thought she was spectacular. Like, she was amazing. Like, she came into this Arsenal team that plays a very particular way under Joe Montemuro. It's, it's worth remembering that unlike Steph Catley and Lydia Williams, Caitlin Ford had never played under Joe Montemuro at W League level, only against his teams. And obviously she came into this really star-studded lineup with uh, Vivian Miedema up top and Beth Mead, Daniela Vanderdonk was actually playing out wide a fair bit before Caitlin Ford came in because obviously players like Jordan Nobbs and Kim Little playing in midfield, they had so much depth that clearly there was a spot there on a wing that Caitlin Ford was tailor-made to fit, but she obviously had to break in. Um, and the way she settled, I thought was just incredible. Um, she obviously during the, when the other season was called off and they had the lockdown, she actually stayed in England, got to know her teammates, really settled. And I thought that just set the platform for a brilliant season. And, and she just flourished. Like she was a perfect player for Arsenal. They needed a player who had that extra bit of mongrel and physicality, but also wasn't afraid to run at players, to turn players. And where she was most effective is where she's arguably the most effective for the Matildas was playing out on the left and rolling in onto that right foot and, cracking a shot or taking on players. And when she's up and moving and at full speed, uh, Ford just is so difficult to stop. And I thought she combined beautifully. She was getting into spots when she played as a number nine at times. She was able to score goals. She created, she held up the play. She made some great little flick-ons. She assisted, she scored. And she was the player that we saw Joe Montemiro chop and change a lot. But I thought she was one of the players, bar Miedemar, who stayed relatively constant because she was so versatile and she always looked like she could create something. And, you know, she's still got another, I think, year to go on her deal at Arsenal. And for me, 
assuming things keep going the way she's going, you could see her having a very long career there because she was just brilliant. See, I think she also, like Sam Kerr, took her game to another level. Um, she was, you know, her passing, um, her movement's always been very good, but some of her passing and creating and finishing, all of these things improved. And she got to play in a couple of different systems at Arsenal as well, which I thought was super positive. And to be honest, she just excelled. And a large reason why Arsenal ended up getting a Champions League place and we'll get to play in that competition next year is because they had Caitlin Ford. And for me, that's a, a huge endorsement as to what she brought to that team this year. And it's kind of nice as well that, like, she, considering the the sort of the issues that Steph Catley and Lydia Williams faced at their start at Arsenal, that, like, at least we had one Aussie there who was who just, like, took to it like a duck to water, you know? And as soon as, because, you know, Ford sort of was in and out of the starting line towards the start of the season as well. But then when Arsenal had that weird just, like, spate of injuries, she finally got thrown in. I don't know whether she was ready or whether she would have been thrown in had that not happened. But, like, she just, like, embraced it. And she took her opportunities with both hands and she scored a whole bunch of goals. I think 10 goals over the course of the whole season with, like, two braces, which is pretty amazing for a first season at that level, considering the only other football she's played has been W League level, sometimes in the NWSL and in Japan. Like, if this was a whole other kettle of fish, I'm sorry about all the terrible metaphors, kettle of fish, but, like, she, she was just fabulous. And it's an interesting, I guess, contrast with Sam Kerr because I don't know whether Caitlin Ford necessarily added things to her belt so much as just sharpened what was already there. So she was always really good with the ball at her feet, but she became better at that. She was always good at cutting inside and having shots from wide areas. She just got better at that. She was, has always been sort of pretty good in terms of the speed that she runs at players. But, you know, sometimes she's seemed quite off balance and has been pretty easily bundled off the ball. But she got better at that. And combining with the centre forward who's involved in any of the attacks, she got better at that. So, yeah, like if we are to think about this season and these players in the context of the Matildas, absolutely. Like Caitlin Ford is basically the Fran Kirby for Sam Kerr. And that's exactly what we want because it means that both of those players are able to get the best out of each other. I think it's worth remembering the halfway point of the season, um, Ford was clearly having a better season than Kerr too, wasn't she, Sam? Like, yeah, absolutely. It was sensational. Like, it didn't actually take her very long to become a starter. Um, and because she's got that versatility, she knows how to do the defensive running. Um, and as we said, we were saying just before, she was such a point of difference for Arsenal. Um, she was just such a success. And, yeah, so I think the question is, how do we get the best out of her at Matilda's level? Because she's obviously starring, but how do we get this combination of attackers that we've got clicking and making it work and being so unpredictable? Because clearly both Kerr and Ford have shown that they have even more strings to their bow than they both already had, which is amazing. And now I think it is just about how do we get the most out of it? How do we get these... Um, things to flourish on the international stage um, rather than, you know, going back to the tried and true things that have worked in the past. How do we get these different elements of Kerr and Ford that we've seen in this FAWSL season? How do we get these factors to come to the fore on the international stage and give defenders in these difficult opponents something completely different to think about? Because clearly um, Caitlin Ford, Sam Kerr have both shown that they can do so, they're capable of so many more things than they arguably were when they went to England. I think um, part of that, um, if 
Miedema sticks around and Ford continues to work with her, that might be a really useful, um, I guess, area for her to learn how to work with a striker who's been marked out. So Sam has talked about this before on the pod. Like what, and I don't think Arsenal did were the best at figuring that out this season, um, but it's something that they can definitely work on. And then that's where someone like Ford will come in and be able to provide that depth or that, you know, versatility, taking it to the Matildas level where we might see Sam Kerr, you know, marked out of a game. Um, and I also find it really funny that the most Sam Kerr goal this season or Sam Kerr-esque goal this season was scored by Caitlin Ford. I can't remember who the opposition was, but it was that one where she did end up being able to muscle the defender off the ball and then just finish. And it just was like inches away from the goalkeeper, but she managed to get it in. And it was like, yeah, and heaps zoomy as well. That's that's a technical term. Um, but yeah, and yeah, it's been a fantastic season for Caitlin Ford. Let's stick with the with the Aussies at Arsenal. Angela, I'm going to come back to you because I can. What did you make of Lids's season? We know she didn't get to play a whole heap, either because Zinsberger was in goal or Lids was injured, but what did you make of what we did see of her this season? First of all, it was really nice to see everyone um, from other parts of the world join in with the joy of Lydia Williams yelling at her team. It's- it was great. That was, I think, her first game. Everyone was sort of noting that. We were like, yes, uh, that's our lids. Beautiful. Um, the other thing, I think, like, she had a decent season. And so um, stats nerded it up again. Um, 77% of the games that she played, she kept a clean sheet, which is pretty impressive. Um, and she, I think, I don't want to start any fights here, but I think she was just a little bit less leaky than... Manuel Zinsberger in that sense, who only kept 30% clean sheets in the games that she played. Um, I think, again, it was that whole Arsenal thing of them having a both Aussies, both her and Steph, having a late start to the season. And then it's even more difficult at that point to be able to wriggle into those starting exercise, exercise, especially if you're competing with someone who's already like quite established in a role as Manuel is, I think, at Arsenal for the most part, but it was great to see her still get full 90 minute appearances there. And she did make some great saves at particular points in the season. So hopefully just onwards and upwards. Um, and I hope that she does stick around. It was only a one year deal, but yeah, Anna. <laughs> I just can't believe it took to about 35 episodes into the far post for Opta Angela to emerge. <laughs> when did Angela become the stat snuff of the pod? I so thought between we Champions would... League final and FAWSL review is the answer. I thought we were doing a stats breakdown power ranking thing. So that's what I've been doing with my day, ignoring all my responsibilities and, you know, accumulating stats. But they they can't account for everything. So you guys can do the colouring in while I <laughs> just reel off numbers. X stats per 90, Angela. I would just like to see Lids get some continuity. I feel like she's had a really rough run in terms of that. Um, largely factors outside her control, like in the US. But when she was at Melbourne City where she was playing every week, in the US she sort of suffered from the next big thing in American goalkeeping comes in and the national team want them playing. It's just been uh, Jane Campbell when she was at Houston and then I think it's Casey Murphy at 
um, at the rain where these players have come up and then the next big thing and Lidz has ended up getting benched and then she's had some little injury niggles along the way and those sorts of things just can't help in terms of just getting continuity and playing week in, week out. So hopefully we can see her really solidify her spot and maybe the next manager will be the sort that likes to keep a consistent goalkeeper. Joe very much liked to rotate his keepers. Um, I think that was a style thing as well. Uh, hopefully we can see that going forward because if you look at that save she made to deny Fran Kirby, one of the save of the season's nominees, it just underlined her quality and um, she is capable of the spectacular and um, we obviously love Lydia Williams, but at the end of the day, you'd love her to be playing every week because um, that's how you get better and better. We talked about it with Ford and Kerr, like you just get better and better by playing more and more. So hopefully like just to throw forward, that's what we see next from her. And finally, it's Lids's partner in crime on social media, Steph Catley as the, the final Aussie at Arsenal. Angela, I want you to just read out what you wrote on the rundown because I think that's the perfect summary of uh, what Catley's season was like. And so I'd love for you to, in your own words, explain what happened to Steph Catley this season. Um, okay. So calf injury. Then got conked on the dome in second game against Hammers in September. Then another calf injury before returning in December, making two appearances. Then a hammy injury. Six appearances, only one appearance with over a half. In brackets, 60 mi- 60, <laughs> 69 minutes. Hehe, <laughs> close brackets. <laughs> And that's all you need to know about what happened to Steph Catley this season. (laughs) But no, she had just an absolutely torrid run of injuries. So we barely got to see her. We were so excited about her kind of pre-season because she had just come off, you know, the really excellent season with Melbourne City. We know what she's capable of. We know how good she is. So there was so much excitement. And then her colleagues just kind of were like, no, not having it uh, this year. We'll try again <laughs> next season. But um, Angela did also put a question at the top of our little Arsenal section that I kind of want you all to answer. Do we think that Arsenal will still be a thing now that Joe is leaving? Obviously, there will be a new manager coming in. Do you think the Aussies are going to uh, stick around now that there isn't that Aussie influence at the top? question I don't know I don't know because I like there's a lot of things that you need to take into consideration and one of them is what the NWSL is doing you know we've already seen one of our Matildas decide to yeet out of the FAWSL Chloe Legazzo and move across to the NWSL that league's getting bigger it's getting longer it's getting more secure it's getting more competitive and if there are going to be sort of constant issues like the ones that Catley and Williams have sort of gone through at their time in Arsenal. I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they'll consider moving across. And also like when we talk about, you know, what it's like to play in, in this league, we don't just talk about playing in a league. We also talk about like playing in England in winter. And one of the things that Sam Kerr said uh, before the Champions League final was that like, it took her a long time just to settle into being in the country and playing in that kind of weather, like she misses home, she misses beaches, she misses the sun, she misses that. So like lifestyle factors are another thing to take into consideration for these players as well. Um, But, you know, I I do think that particularly Ford, Williams and Catley, they are the kinds of quality players that if they, you know, 
there's no reason why they why Arsenal wouldn't want them outside of stylistic kinds of factors because they are so talented and they are at exactly the kind of age that they would all want to be in to at their peak performance period. So, you know, if they if they stay, they're they're deserving of that. If they leave, it's it's probably for a number of other kinds of reasons. Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley are both contracted. Caitlin Ford's been fantastic. So I don't see any reason why she'd want to leave, but anything personal circumstances wise coming up. Catley had a absolutely torrid season through really no fault of her own injury based. She's contracted for another season. Um, to me, she's the type of personality who would use it to want to prove a point. Like look how many of her Matilda's teammates have actually got to shine. Um, and we'll talk about Hayley Razzo in a bit too, um, by getting consistent game time. Uh, I, I don't, see why she would want to say go back to the US right now. I think it makes sense to try and get another season under her belt. Obviously, it's difficult that Joe Montemuro, the player that brought them across, won't be there. But Steph Catley, as you say, Sam, is the sort of player that any coach would love to have because she's versatile. She's got one of the best attitudes in the game. She's got that dynamite left foot. And when she's up and about, she is one of the best, if not the best, left fullback in the world, like close to it. She's sensational. Uh, if you're Arsenal, you're doing everything you can to keep her happy. And on the, I guess, the personal side of things, her partner, Dean Bazanis, is living over in London with her and settled there and playing there. So I think that's that's always an important factor for players when they're settled and happy. Um, I think Lydia Williams is the only one that you'd have a question mark over just because it was a shorter-term contract to the end of July. I mean, if, if you're Arsenal, I think you'd want to keep her. But I guess does she go, or do I want to play at a club where I'm going to be playing every week and I know I'm playing every week, or do I want to stay here? And player happiness is a big factor. And I think also some of them may well want to try and experience a full season where it's not hit by COVID the way the last season and a half have been. You know, where you get the, the fans back in stadiums, you get a bit more of, I guess, the authentic feel of playing in England. And they're at a big club. I'd like to think that they're all going to stick around. But for me, the only the only one for me that would really have any sort of question mark would be Lydia Williams. I think also with Joe leaving, I wouldn't anticipate a coach coming in looking to make too many drastic changes to this Arsenal side because they're already pretty connected. I feel like it's one of those things if you take one out, depending on which one, it could sort of have a run-on effect. And also, yeah, Steph Catley definitely, and if she's back in full form, that means that, you know, Katie McCabe can push up and that opens a whole bunch of possibilities. So I don't, yeah, I agree with Anna there. Um, The only other thing is that Arsenal do tend to change keepers a little bit, but again, that may have been just a thing with Joe, and she's might be very well be safe. Um, I think, yeah, we can't really know for sure until we get a sense of who the new manager is or, or will be but fingers crossed it would be really nice to be able to follow a team of three Australian players who are all not injured <laughs> at some stage let's switch gears to you know one team that had a lot of Aussies to a team that started with a lot of Aussies and now has none in Bristol City. They started with Chloe Legazzo and Ella Antonio, and now both of those players have left. It was a bad season for Bristol. We all know that they got relegated, but we did have 
little sample sizes of those two players. Sam, what did you make of both Legazzo and Master Antonio's seasons? It was sort of a case of them just doing what they could in the circumstances, you know, like Bristol seemed pretty doomed from the get-go. <laughs> Uh, the last couple of seasons have not been kind to them and this was just sort of the end point of a long slide. Um, you know, we've spoken in the past about the fact that Bristol are one of the clubs in the FAWSL that don't really have a huge amount of money behind them from a men's equivalent in the Premier League. Um, Tanya Oxtoby has spoken in the past as well about how difficult it's been to have to try and compete with some of these clubs who have so much more backing and and so many more resources at their disposal even down to things like traveling on game day or access to physio tables just like really basic things and ultimately that sort of stuff stacks up you know it starts to affect players and we saw Chloe Legazzo uh, leave early she has moved across to the NWSL to join uh, one of the expansion clubs there for I think two seasons um and we've seen in the last week as well, Ella Master Antonio has been released by the club as well. So, um, you know, it's probably a good thing that the two of them have left because Bristol uh, have been relegated. So they're going to be playing in the Women's Championship next season. Uh, that's a semi-professional competition. Um, and Bristol are probably really, in terms of their budget, probably a semi-professional side. So they're sort of just sliding, I think, into where they probably belong. Um, Tanya Oxtoby, as far as I'm aware, will be taking over Bristol and will, will be staying there uh, next season as well when she comes back from maternity leave. So all the best to her. Um, I thought, you know, I, I thought Ella Mestre Antonio, because she, she was the player of the two of them who was there for the longest time. She made 15 appearances. She started in 10 of those. She scored a goal, a couple of assists. You know, she did pretty well. Um and she, you know, but she didn't really come along in leaps and bounds, perhaps in the way that she thought she would have. And I think a large part of that is just because she wasn't in the environment or surrounded by the kinds of players who can really push her. So I'd be curious to see where she goes next, because I do think she's an excellent player. Um, and I do think she has a little bit more room to grow. So if she's able to, to take what she has and build upon it, perhaps in another European league, maybe she can go to Scandinavia. Um, or even if she comes back to, to Australia, then, you know, whatever she's comfortable doing, it, I'm sure this was a good experience for her regardless. On the flip side, as you mentioned, Sam, Chloe Legazzo left, and I think her story is probably a good example of, and we've talked about it with a few players, I think maybe Jenna McCormick was a really good example in Spain of picking the right club to go to. Um, I, I chatted to Chloe for AAP a couple of weeks back um, when she signed or when she was just starting to play games for Kansas City and she basically said she didn't regret the move she's not really the sort of personality that regrets her decision but I think if she had her time again maybe she said she would learn from it and I think think put more thought into the type of move she'd make what club she'd go to um, maybe consider what her expectations were um, Legazzo we know is will be well, she's probably easily the fittest of the Matildas an incredible runner incredible athlete um, who probably just needed to round out some more technical things. And I think it was probably ended up being the wrong um, environment. Like she was very much up for the challenge when she signed her. I remember chatting to her at the time and it was very much like, I'm up for this challenge. I want to, you know, try and help keep a team up and these sorts of things. But it it can be quite, I guess, debilitating for players to, to go through that, as you said, Sam, especially with things like, uh, I guess, your facilities or you're not having access to things like, 
the strength and conditioning side, which is something that we we do have to remember as much as we talk about Europe, Australia excels in. And the NWSL, I think, is very good as well. But Australia is exceptional in the sort of athlete performance and rehab and injury prevention side of things compared to a lot of leagues. Um, I think it ended up just being the wrong lead. And it's a bit of a shame because she may well end up staying in the US long term. She may go back to Europe again. But um she actually said, you know, this is probably the only experience I'll have of playing in England. And it, it really, I guess, didn't go as planned. Um, you know, she had some moments. They more tended to be in cup games, I think, scoring goals. Um, obviously, when she was there during the FAWSL, she was starting, um, but just didn't work out. And, you know, this can happen. But, yeah, I, I guess just didn't work out particularly well for for either of our players that were at Bristol but especially not Chloe Legazzo who um what left in February and then had a really protracted time actually trying to get over to the US and then couldn't play in the Matildas friendlies because she was sorting out her visa at the same time as um uh, the Matildas were going into camp so she had to stay in England while she sorted that so it ended up all being a little bit of a process um and yeah hopefully the the NWSL proves to be I guess a much better home for her and she's there till 2023 so she gets her security she'll be happy and the athleticism of that league will really suit a player like Chloe Legazzo but I feel like we didn't get to see the best of her in the FAWSL and maybe see what she could do if she was really tested um, in a different way in this league like you Caitlin Ford, Sam Kerr, Alana Kennedy, uh, Hayley Razzo um, so that's a shame for mine. Yeah, the situation is sort of like a little bit of the inverse of what, yeah, our other Australians were coming up against, where I suppose you would expect they would be lifted um, by their move, whereas it felt like Legazzo's move in particular, that she would be lifting Bristol, and I don't think we necessarily saw that. Um, but we do have that one beautiful memory of Ella Mastrantonio's assist in that game against Arsenal where she burned Leah Williamson and passed it to Ebony Salmon who then scored uh that was beautiful I thought you were gonna say the one beautiful memory was when Chloe Legazzo talked about using her noggin that too look two, <laughs> two beautiful memories there we go it's not all is lost this shows where my brain went to not the beautiful bit of footballing skill. Wait, to be fair, there was a lot of noggin chat in the early day- days of this podcast. <laughs> and we should ramp it up again. <laughs> um, and I guess with Master Antonio, um, so to borrow one of my favourite phrases that Anna has introduced me to, the, the mongrel, I, we didn't really see that as well. And I'm wondering if perhaps um, that comes out when she, if she is surrounded by... I guess, a more cohesive attacking midfield and she's not sort of expected to produce as much. But, you know, you live and you learn and I'm excited to see what she does next. And, um, yeah, because I I really rate her. From the Robins to the Toffees, let's talk a little bit about Hayley Razo. She started red hot, as did her Everton, Everton side, but things kind of just went back to the middle, I suppose you could almost say. Harrow, what did what did you make of Razo's season and how she performed? I think you summed it up there. Marissa sort of started like a house on fire, um, as Everton did. They were 
had Izzy Christensen really controlling everything in midfield and that allowed their attacking weapons to really shine. And Hayley Razor, I think, was probably the main beneficiary of that. I think um, Valerie Govan having some injury issues probably destabilised them a little bit in terms of they were really onto a good thing. that They had Govan as the sort of focal point of their attack and then Razo and Claire Emsley um, bouncing off and getting a, a, and really being able to sneak in and score some goals. Um, Razo's pace, I think she played basically the Hayley Razo role she knew. I think her finishing was a bit more clinical early in the season and uh, I think we had really high hopes that she would really, really kick on the same way Ford and Kerr did. And I think early on she showed some really good signs, um, created some really good uh, individual goals. And as Angela mentioned, with that perfect hat-trick, um, you know, scored with her head, scored with both feet, was able to scramble or tap in and um, look got better and better. I think, yeah, probably fell away the same way Everton did. And... Um, I think as we saw later in the season or even when she was appearing for the Matildas late, it was a little bit of that, um, not uncertainty, but lack of composure, I guess, came back into her game where it was firing it into the first defender or taking on one too many and losing the ball. And I think if we'd seen her playing for the Matildas when she was in that form early in the season where she was like really dynamic and uh, was probably the second most exciting, in I think, after Caitlin Ford early in the season, we would have got a, a better idea of really how much she'd come on. But it's, it's difficult when your team starts to fall away a little bit um, because obviously, as an, especially as an attacker, you're just not getting as much of the ball coming your way. So super, super promising for mine start to the season and probably just fell away a bit as she went. And probably wasn't helped either by the weird like positional changes that she had to go through towards the back end of the season 100%. either. Like she was, she was sort of utilised as this fantastic electric winger this this player that we have come to know and love and was doing so well at it and then all of a sudden was being asked to play at fullback and that you know she didn't do too well there and yet we then saw her used at fullback for the Matildas in one of the friendlies as well and she did really poorly there as well so it was just yeah like those when we looked at Hayley Rasso in those two Matildas friendlies she looked like she'd lost confidence and I think that that those that sort of being bounced around you know Everton's larger um sort of performances had a, a role to do with that as well uh, yeah things just seem to come a little bit off the rails for her towards the end there in the last couple of months but I do think she improved as you mentioned Harry she did become more clinical I think she became smarter with her runs um I think she became better in terms of her close ball control I think she became uh, cleverer in her passing as well. The, the way that she, instead of just trying to rely on her being able to burn players, I think she started to develop a, a game sense where she knew when to pass and when to run a little bit better than what she has in the past. Um, but yeah, I'm, again, I'm looking for, I, like, I, I, do, I do really like Everton. I think that they were a really good side and they're a side that are building towards something you feel. So I hope that Rasso sticks around with them because she's surrounded by really quality players, as you mentioned, Christensen, Govan, Emsley. Now that they've now got Jill Scott as well, incredible experience coming from her. So she's surrounded by players and by a really good coach and a, and a pretty decent setup that I think will allow her to, to kick on and to move into that next level that we've seen Ford and Kerr reach. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a failure of a season by any stretch, but she's got further to go. And Sam, I think it was like heading early in the season when we were doing these podcasts, we were like, well, here's our front three. Ford, Kurt, Razzo. And by the time we got to the Matildas friendly, like, 
Emily Gilnick back in here <laughs> to give a point of difference, which is um, I think shows the difference between her form at the start of the FAWSL season and maybe that lack of confidence. And I was surprised to see that reshuffle, as you mentioned, Sam, into fullback seemingly to, I guess, accommodate that they'd recruited Alicia Lehman. And I think Kayla Razzo is a better player than Alicia Lehman and was having a much better season than Alicia Lehman, who was struggling to get games for West Ham. So it was interesting seeing them, I guess, try to work that juggle. And I think, unfortunately, like, as much as she gave it a crack, it was Razzo that missed out because she was putting in some, I didn't mention it before, some amazing balls as well, like some crosses that were really dangerous and played a big role in um, you calling Valerie Govan, Valerie Golvan early in the year, Sam. So it was, yeah, it was a shame to, I guess, see her drop off a bit as she went. And hopefully when we see these Matildas friendly, she's managed to regather a bit of that confidence and we see her back as the player that we know she can be. Speaking of a player that was uh, played in a couple of positions, Alana Kennedy for Tottenham, something that caused us uh, much angst as the season went on. We saw her as the six. We saw her as the six a lot to the point where we did not want to see her as the six anymore. But after the kind of Matilda's games, we saw that um, she moved back into a more defensive role. But I suppose we really got to see her in that defensive midfield role where we kind of hadn't. We knew it was something she did, but we kind of now have a full season's worth of evidence. So, Angela, once and for all, your official final take on Alana Kennedy as the six and her season overall. I don't like it. I don't like it. I just, me personally, you know, the weird thing is, as I've seen on the talks that like over, like people who follow the game in the UK have really enjoyed Alana Kennedy in midfield. And I just wonder if the duality of being a Matildas fan and bringing that along for the ride is colouring our response perhaps to Kennedy as a defensive midfielder. Um, but, yeah, I I will be interested to see if she sticks around at Spurs as well because she seemed to really take to the club and they seem to really like her as well. Um, but it is I, – I do sort of wonder if they're going to be able to make space if she does want to go back into that centre-back position and to get more time there um, and minutes there. So, yeah, not not for me personally, but, I mean, good for her, I suppose. Not really good for the Matildas, but it – I feel like she probably will stick around exactly for the reason that you mentioned, Angela, because like Tottenham do need good centre-backs now. You know, they leaked a lot of goals and Kennedy is a quality centre-back and she's already part of the setup. She's already trusted. Everyone already knows her and knows how she plays. So being able to slot her back into that centre-back role seems like a pretty natural and easy thing for the club to do. Um, I don't know, like when we assess Alana Kennedy, it's a good point, Angela, that you made about how we actually read Alana Kennedy in that number six role, especially considering the feedback from overseas has been so different to what we have thought. But like when you look across her entire season, did she get better as a number six? You'd sort of assume that playing a full season in that position would have seen her improve, coming up against those kinds of players, becoming more comfortable in that position, I don't know if she improved that much, really. Um, and so that's, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we've already said everything that 
I think we need to say about how we feel about her being in that position. Um, I And I have made my thoughts wildly clear about what I want from number six as well. I want a player who has the mongrel, who has a sharp turning circle, who has really good close ball control, who has really good vision. I think Alana Kennedy only has one of those things. I have enjoyed seeing her improve her set piece abilities. Like you mentioned, Marissa, her, that, that free kick was astonishing. And that's a really important weapon to have for the Matildas as well, because we only have a handful of players who are capable of doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think she has enjoyed the experience of Tottenham, but I don't know whether she has improved in the experience of Tottenham. Well, I think it's, as you say, Sam, it's a bit of a recurring theme with our talks about Alana Kennedy is to throw it forward. I think what we want to see is her play if she stays at Spurs. And I think she probably will, because I think it, she seems very happy there. She's very like comfortable, um, clearly enjoying living in London, especially now lockdown's lifting. But from a playing point of view, I think what we need to see is her have a full season playing as a centre-back and doing what we were hoping she would do last season, which is going up against Miedemar, going up against Sam Kerr, Beth England, Peniel Harder, just going up against Ellen White, um, Chloe Kelly when she's back from her ACL, like going up against these great forwards or even your Valerie Govan, those sorts of players and standing toe-to-toe with them, matching up against them because that's what she's going to be doing in a Matilda shirt. It became we already thought it was clear, but it became very clear in those friendlies that that is what is her, her job is going to be leading into 23 and 2023 and beyond. She's going to be going up against the best strikers in the world. She's going to be the linchpin of our defence. And therefore, she is going to have to play and play and play and play there at club level. And if it doesn't happen at Tottenham, maybe she looks for a move elsewhere. But as you say, given Tottenham were really starting to leak goals, it makes sense for her to do it there come up against some great strikers, get better and better, continue to improve. And she's already a class centre-back. You want to see her kick on another level, the same way Kerr and Ford in particular have done and Hayley Razzo to an extent by playing in the FAWSL in positions that suit them. And that's all we want to see going forward. And hopefully that is what we see going forward. Because if she does that, then you could argue the sky's the limit for Alana Kennedy in terms of what she can be as a centre-back because she's fantastic. She's a fantastic player but I think we just need to see her doing that in the right position and doing it every week and getting better and better and being the player we know she can be. I wonder how many minutes we've actually dedicated on this podcast to talking about Alana Kennedy as the six, because I have a feeling it's a a large slice of that pie because it comes up a lot because we have a lot of uh, thoughts on it. But um, it will not stop until we have enacted the change, Marissa, until we see her at centre-back in a Tottenham shirt. We will not stop screaming. Until we see her named there week on week. Like, Tottenham, we're going to have to start doing the graphics where you can see where the players are lining up so we can just pick it (laughs) off. We will not reduce our minutes of talking about this until Alana reduces her minutes at six. Tottenham's just putting, like... Like opposite blackmail. I was going to say it's like the inverse of Heyman watch. It's like Alana Kennedy glare. <laughs> what are you doing? Back, back, back. Oh, further back. Anyway, let's finish off this chat about the Aussies in the FAWSL with the gals from West Ham. Angela, obviously, this is your time to shine, even though you are wearing the Arsenal kit and Harrow's wearing the West Ham kit. But, oh, yes, it's in the background. It's in the background. This will be clear when you see some screenshots like West Ham uh, season in the background <laughs> <laughs> I mean 
Wow. That's good. Some points were made. Some points were made. But let's talk about the positive things that came from our two Aussie gals there. We'll start with Emily Van Egmond. She was really good. She was really, really good. Angela, what did you think of Van Egg's season? I think that she had, I think, uh, not a season that you could compare to Caitlin Ford or Sam Kerr or anything like that, but a really good foundational season. I think that's sort of the whole thing with this West Ham side. There was so much sort of chopping and changing before the season even began, some of which was players like Macker and Van Engmore coming into the mix, which is fantastic. But at the same time, they really lacked consistency and they were sort of getting that together towards the end of the season. So I think that's going to be a real focus moving forward and I'll definitely be keeping an eye on her and see how she can get bigger and better from there. I think there were moments in the season where she was obviously sort of improving in small ways in terms of her um, attacking play and her scoring as well, which was really exciting. She did score a lot in like cup games as well and only got four regular goals for West Ham in the FAWSL. So tied first golden boot with Martha Thomas. (laughs) Got it this time. All right. Um, but that's still, that's really awesome. Obviously, that sort of indicates that West Ham are not scoring <laughs> a lot. So I think, yeah, hopefully see more of that from her. Um, and also really, really exciting signing coming into West Ham with Tamiki Yallop. So if the two of them can pair up, oh, my God, that's just great on so many levels, both as a West Ham fan and as a Matildas fan, to have the two of them combining, working together week in, week out. So, yeah, fingers and toes crossed that Emily Van Egmond decides to stay at West Ham because I think it would be a really positive move for her to do so. Fred, get your money, man. Like those so I'm hopeful. Yes, I am hopeful for today. But in terms of the season just gone, like I said, solid foundation, but not quite there yet. I wonder if Emily Van Egmond will want to play for, like, a, a team she can see as a contender or want to test herself another way. I thought she was fantastic. Um, When we consider, and I think, Marissa, you mentioned about the Alana Kennedy at at six mentions. I think in the early episodes of this podcast, we dedicated almost as much airtime to, why is Emily Van Egmond at six? (laughs) And questioning why Matt Beard was playing Van Egmond so deep. And then once she was, I guess, released to the shackles and got to go further out the pitch, that's where West Ham really reaped the rewards. She was scoring goals, creating goals. Lots of headers, the Emily Van Egnogen. It's the real best hits, uh, greatest hits of the far post pod today. Um, came to the fore. She was brilliant. She was everywhere. She consistently looked like the player most likely to create or score goals. Um, when she wasn't there, it was a pretty glaring absence. And um, she scored against big teams. She wasn't just beating up on, um, well, there weren't many teams for West Ham to beat up on given they were near the bottom of the table, but like she wasn't just scoring against other relegation um, contenders. She was scoring against big teams, making an impact. And for mine, I think she just underlined what we already knew she could do. Um, she sort of followed up the sort of form she'd shown for the Matildas and for Melbourne city Um you know, 2019, 2020. And I'd be interested if, if she stays and combines with Tamiki Yallop, that'd be fantastic. She's still, I think, contracted to Orlando or at least her rights are there. And it'll be interesting to see if she wants to stick in Europe. I'd like to think so because I think it really suits her and I thought she was excellent. Um, if she can combine with Yallop, amazing. If not, hopefully we see her stick around 
um, in the FAWSL because I thought she was really good and really took to the league like a, like a duck to water. So, yeah, it's hard to fault too much of her season, to be honest. Did you sort of see the move initially, Harrow, as her using this as the stepping stone to sort of establish herself in the league and then move to a club that could contend? Because I don't think anyone would be moving to West Ham at this present time thinking they're going to get silverware. Yeah, maybe. And the lure of playing in London, I think, knowing um, that you've got a lot of mates that are in and around London would have been appealing. Um, but I think also there's a lot of quality attacking midfielders around the league. And I think she would have gone to West Ham thinking, and if I was signing Emily Van Egmond to a team like West Ham, I'd be thinking this is a player that you can build something around, and which is why it was so odd when she was playing further back defensively earlier on in the season because she's like an attacking fulcrum, similar if not to the same level, obviously, as what Frank Kirby was doing at Chelsea in terms of being the player you could build stuff around. Um, so maybe there was an element of that, dipping a toe in the water. It was initially a loan, same to Alana Kennedy. Um, see if she likes the league, I guess. Um, maybe wanting to get a move to a bigger team. But I think after getting a taste of silverware at Melbourne City, these players are fiercely competitive. I think they're all the sorts of players that would want to be in the mix for trophies whenever they can be. Um, your careers are short. Um, if I think if she's happy in the league, she'd definitely want to see if she could push for um, a club that's going to be in the mix for silverware next season. And I wouldn't blame her if that was the sort of move she wanted to make. I guess we'll just have to... Have to wait and see. If West Ham can hang on to her, it would be huge for them. Like, that would be a, a huge effort. But I don't know what we'll see. We said she wasn't alone at West Ham. She had Mackenzie Arnold behind her in the goals. Sammy pumped her up in the You Love to See It. But what did you make of her season more broadly? She got better and better. And I think that was reflected in the fact that she won the player of the season, the goalkeeper of the season. Statistically, she was the best goalkeeper across the entire FAWSL. She made uh, the sort of the highest number of like difficult saves. She saved every penalty that she came across, which was like the top in the FAWSL. Um, and yeah, the, I think the the award was based on. Um, not just like penalty saves, but also things like discipline, distribution, um, like stopping shots, obviously, but like a whole bunch of other different kinds of facets of being a goalkeeper that we maybe didn't expect Macca to be particularly good at when she first started with West Ham. Um, but she, you know, she's just improved. And I think that, you know, when I, when I first started to cover this season for Optus Sport, one of my first articles was about Macca and it was about whether or not being in a team as leaky as West Ham because I think they had just got absolutely thrashed by Chelsea or an Arsenal whether it's actually going to be the making of Macca because she's going to be coming up against these kinds of attacks these kinds of strikers these kinds of goal moments that she's going to have to try and step up and 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 protect her goal against and she's done that you know, she, I, I, I'm re- I've been so impressed with how well she's gone, even though West Ham were in relegation conversations for quite a while towards the back end of the season. I, without her, they absolutely would have gone down. You know, she made some really important saves in the last couple of games to keep West Ham in and around it. And I think that she can probably only get better from here because she knows what she's capable of now. And I think other people know what she's capable of now as well. I think the gauntlet probably not in anyone's words, but would have been thrown down to her by the fact that, you know, Tegan Michael's done to get some game time. She was doing well in Norway and Mackenzie Arnold 
hadn't been playing much. Like she'd played for Brisbane Raw, but she obviously, uh, a couple of years ago, she was in Norway, but then she had that weird stint where she played for Brisbane then didn't really play and signed for Chicago and was just on the bench for a listener. I don't know if she thought there was going to be a way more, but she just didn't play. And then she had the, she was playing for Brisbane Raw. It's like, well, you can't be playing just, you know, 12, 14 games a season and still be the number two goalkeeper. So she absolutely took up the challenge. Like she needed to make a big move to not only um, push her case for being the number one Matilda's goalkeeper, but for being the number two, because, you know, there just wasn't enough of a, a body of work that she was getting consistently. I think she's dispelled that now. Uh, I think she, as you said, Sam, she got better and better as she went on. She faced great attacks. She had to really marshal a defence and West Ham obviously um, improved a bit late in the season as well. And she made some really good saves. And I think she'll have just got better and better as a player, has really benefited from playing a lot of games, facing a lot of shots. And I know she had a couple of howlers in that Matilda's game she played, but also like she was just coming off that knee injury then. I think that was the worst time to probably try and evaluate her performance. Um, on the whole, she got a heap of game time. As you said, Sam, she was statistically um, apparently the best goalkeeper in the league. So you can't get much more of an endorsement than that. And hopefully she does stick around there because it's clearly worked for her. Um, she seems to enjoy it there. She's playing some brilliant football and I think it would be good for her to stay on there and keep getting as much game time as she has and just see if she can keep on kicking on, to be honest. I think that statistic as well is really um, fantastic in the context of FAWSL keepers. I don't know, um, perhaps coming from an Australian perspective, but I've highly rated a lot of the keepers in the league this season um, and I've found the quality to be really good. So to come out on top statistically in that company is, is really awesome to see. So that was the, the qualitative analysis of the Australians in the FAWSL and all of their seasons. So now let's finish things off with kind of a rapid fire. If you've listened to the W League review episode, this will be familiar to you, but we're going to sum up each of the club seasons with one sentence. It's very brief. It's snappy, which is not something we're particularly good at at other times. But let's start with some reviews. So. Angela, Chelsea. Kaboom. <laughs> That's it. Um, I don't know. Look, I think kaboom was. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Kaboom. All right. Harry, Kab- Men City. <laughs> what was that? Sorry? Men City. Just fell short. Sam, Arsenal. Injury management. Harrow, Man United. Uh, big fall from Grace. Angela, Everton. A smaller fall from Grace. <laughs> Sam, Brighton. Dark horses for future seasons. Angela, Reading. Understated, but working on something there. Right, <laughs> Play Alana Kennedy at centre back, please. <laughs> Sam, West Ham. New chapter. Anna, Aston Miller. Where'd everybody go? 
Angela, Birmingham. Um, Admiral, admirable, I should probably use words I know. Um, I have a good persistence and grit. Tough season for them. And Sam Bristol. Inevitable. God damn. All right. Brad Pitt with your Chanel ad. Inevitable. Like, all right. Now, let's finish on a high note because that's our usual kind of stick with something that we're looking forward to for next season because it's really not that far away. Can we call it How Good Will This Be? (laughs) We can call it How Good Will This Be. So the three of you, you've all thought of something. So Anna, kick us off. How good will blank be? Steph Catley getting a proper run at it. She's a star. She deserves to have an injury-free run. She's one of the best left backs in the world. She's a great person, great player. Um, I think Arsenal really missed her. Katie McCabe was fantastic. But just imagine what you could do if you could play Catley um, either as a left back or even have her pinch hit at centre back. She's so good. She deserves things to go her way. And I think if they do in this next season, Arsenal could really kick on again because she is a star. So, yeah, how good would that be? At Steph Catley's legs, give the people what they want. Just stop doing bad things. Anyway, Angela, how good will blank be for you? How good will West Ham finishing above Spurs be? And you know who's going to do it for them? Tamiki Yalov. I'm so excited for the next season for West Ham. Um, so I think I've already explained why across the, the course of this pod, but just Tamiki Yalov in midfield, it's going to be so exciting. She's... We all know what she's like. She's got that drive. She's got the instinct. She knows the runs. And she's got, I think, what both her and Emily Van Egmont share, even though they play a little bit differently, they both have that competitive streak that Anna was talking about earlier. Tamika Yallop, she puts everything on the line and is so angry when she loses. So I'm so excited for that. I think we're all excited to see what she can do at West Ham. And Sam, how good will blank be for you? How good will it be seeing Leicester City promoted into the FAWSL? They won the championship by a pretty good margin. They were one of the only clubs at the championship level whose owners decided to make the team fully professional, just like Man United did. And we've seen how well Man United did once they got promoted a couple of seasons ago. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if Leicester can do a Leicester and maybe come from nowhere and take the FAWSL by, as Harrow likes to say, the scruff of the neck and really give the big club something to worry about. But I do have another how possibly good could this be that summarises, I think, the whole league and, and everything that we've been talking about. It's the new broadcast deal. How good is it going to be to have the FAWSL more visible, more accessible, and more lucrative. There's so much more money pouring into this game now, pouring into this league, pouring towards these players and these coaches and these staff. It's it's just going to continue to get better and better. So I'm really excited to see what happens next season, just in terms of the overall visibility of women's football in England, because it, it, it matters so much. Just going to professionalisation and broadcasting, just for, you know, future reference for women's football leagues around the world just something to (laughs) something to think of anyway that was a big FAWSL review that's 
competition will now have a little break, but we've still got plenty of stuff to, to be talking about. So look out for future episodes. In the meantime, we've got heaps of stuff that you can listen back to. You can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find our entire back catalogue on Spotify, Apple, Google. We had a really great chat with ESPN UK journal Kathleen McNamee about the Champions League final, so definitely check that one out. Um, if you like what we do, leave us a review. Subscribe so you can get it straight in your little podcast feed. It was it's a great thing for you. We're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. So if you want to have a chat to us or let us know someone you'd like us to interview or chat about, let us know. Drop us a line. But until next time, see you.